All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5, and I'll meet you there here in just a second. Matthew chapter 5. Before we get there, I just want, all right, everybody watching, ready? Forrest, you ready? All right, anyways, no, um, okay, so Matthew chapter 5. I, it's the first of the year, and so um, I thought we would, you know, do the normal thing that, that preachers do, and that is talk about New Year's resolutions. Uh, but I want to challenge you to not make any, okay? If you have made them, throw them out. Just forget about them, okay? And here's why. Um, instead of making resolutions, because resolutions usually come like this. Uh, I am going to make a New Year's resolution to go to the gym more. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution to uh, be nicer to my family. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution to this. And they're usually kind of open-ended things, right? They're usually things that, you know... I'll go to the gym more. Well, last year I went once, so as long as I make it twice, I've passed, right? Um, I, I, when we do open-ended things like that, we don't really have any tangible goals. So here's what I want to do. Instead of a New Year's resolution, I want to encourage you to make some goals. Um, in your bulletin, if you'll look on the weekly reading section, you'll see uh, one goal that I think would probably be pretty good, and that is... We're going to be using um, a, a reading plan for our bulletin this year that was put together by my friend Wes. Uh, he also wrote the book that we're studying on Sunday mornings for uh, Bible class. And that reading is this. You read a whole book of the Bible once a week. Now that sounds daunting, right? I mean, you get to like Genesis and there's 50 chapters. You get to Psalm and there's 119 chapters. Um, but... If you'll look out beside it, you'll see how long it'll take you to read that. And you don't have to read it all at once. But sit down and read a book of the Bible, the one that's in the bulletin, every week. This week, three hours, okay? Here's a hint. If you're an Alabama fan, tomorrow night, turn on Eli Gold on the radio station and read the book of Genesis at the same time. They'll end about the same time. It, it's the length of one football game, okay? It's three hours. It's not... That long. Even with the book of Psalms, it's still only five hours or so that, that you would be reading that week. And in this is built in some leeway. Okay, So if you get a week behind, that's perfectly fine. You can go to that website and you can find the actual list. And so if you get a week or two behind, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't stress. But set a goal to read the entire book in one year. The entire Bible in one year. 31,000 verses. 66 books. What's so special about that? If anything at all, it will, it will make you more familiar with the scriptures. But more importantly, there are going to be things that stick out to you that are going to change how you think about certain things. There are phrases or readings that are going to come up more often than not. My friend Wes, who wrote that uh, reading plan... Um, posted that he, he's doing that, and he read the book of Genesis this past week. And uh, he started on January 1st. And, uh, he read the book of Genesis this past week, and he, he, he realized that the term uh, be fruitful and multiply comes up more often than you actually think in the book of Genesis. And it's not a command, it's a blessing that God would give us the ability to, to procreate, to, to spread 
humanity across the world. And then later on, you're going to get to the New Testament. You're going to see why. Because those people need the gospel. And so when the world is filled with people, now it's our turn to go and to teach them. And so that's a good goal. Maybe your goal is to do something else. But here's the thing, okay? New Year's is a perfect time to start new things. Because, you know, every one of us, even if you hate New Year's, even if you're cynical against resolutions and all that, it still feels fresh, doesn't it? The, the kids are going back to school right now. Becca, the other day, yesterday, uh, Dalton said, when am I going to get a haircut? And she said, oh, we're going to get you one before you go back to school. And I said, so you going today or tomorrow? And she went, oh, yeah, I guess so. See, everything's starting new, right? So, so set some goals. Set some real Hard-to-reach goals in your faith. Don't just make it that I'll read the Bible, you know, once a day or something. Set it hard. Set it to where I'm going to read a book of the Bible every single week. It gets pretty easy when you get to, like, Philemon. Right? So, all right. So, Matthew chapter 5. Before we get to Matthew 5, I want to talk about one person. You probably know who this person is. He, um, I've mentioned him in the past few weeks because I've been studying about his life. But it's this guy, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, this is what you know about from the, from the class books when you're in elementary school. And Man, alive. It's hot up here. Okay. I can button it, but that doesn't mean I want to sweat in it. All right. Um, Abraham Lincoln. Here's what you know about, it, about him from the class books. That he... Grew up, he was born in Kentucky, he grew up in Indiana, he moved there at the age of nine, or younger than that, sorry. His mother passed away at nine of milk sickness. His dad was very lazy, and so he made Abraham work in the fields and that sort of thing. You'll see drawings of Abraham Lincoln pushing a plow, or, you know, working a plow, not necessarily pushing it, but working a plow and reading a book at the same time, because he loved reading, and then eventually he became president. What you don't read about is the fact that In between the time where he's reading and pushing the plow and becomes president, he was a lawyer in Springfield, Illinois. And he was famous for one thing. You remember his his nickname, right? Honest Abe? I don't know why he got that. Because here's the truth, okay? Here's what you don't read about in the the storybooks in, in elementary school. Abe Lincoln hated the scriptures. He hated them. He hated Jesus. He thought preachers were charlatans. Uh, From the time that he was about 17, 18, and he moved away from home, until just before starting to run for office, he was one of these, he was renowned for talking about how horrible the Bible was, that he hated it, that it didn't make sense, that it contradicted itself, and these sorts of things. And he even wrote a tract, a little pamphlet, that was about how horrible religion was. Now, the reason he did that was because he, he was upset with his father. And his father was a hyper-Calvinist. And didn't, Calvinism is the idea that, that we're born in sin, that we don't choose whether or not we can follow God, that God makes us follow him, or he makes us not follow him. And he hated it. And he thought that if this is the only thing that the Bible says, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. The good thing is, that's not what the Bible says. But he writes his tract, and, and eventually the tract is destroyed before anyone ever reads it other than his friends, because one of his friends knew that Abe Lincoln wanted to become president one day, and he was scared that that would keep him from being president. So he destroyed the tract and wouldn't let anybody read it. Fast forward a few years, Abraham rethinks his position. 
he starts thinking about it. He realizes that that hyper-Calvinist idea isn't true. And so he starts going to services of the local Presbyterian church. He gets married. He starts rekindling this idea of God. He's become, he becomes president. And something that happened in that time where he's rekindling his belief in a, in a God, in the God of the Bible, even though he wasn't worshiping it correctly. Um, somewhere in that time, he realized that all people were created equal. And so you remember what happens, right? He becomes president. He's faced with a country that is torn apart. And he says the famous line, this country will either completely exist with slavery or without slavery, but this is not going to keep up. We're not going to be able to keep the country together, divided like we are. Civil war happens. And then the Emancipation Proclamation, which frees the, the, the enslaved people in the southern states and in the states that were rebelling. Because if you didn't know, the Emancipation Proclamation did not free all slaves because he couldn't free all slaves. He only had that right in the states that were rebelling against the nation. And so he frees the slaves in the southern states because of his belief in the Bible. Even though at one point he completely condemned the Bible, religion, preachers, everyone that believed. He, he, he taught that Jesus was crazy, uh, all these things. Even though he had that view at one point, the Bible and the truth eventually started to change him to where then he decided it was his job to make a decision. What are we going to do about this? Oh, I'm going to follow the Bible and we're going to fix this wrong that's in our nation. Let me ask you a question. What happens if Abraham Lincoln doesn't stand up for what he believes? What if, what if Abraham Lincoln follows the advice of everyone around him when he's president and says, this is not a good idea. All this is going to do is make the southern states even matter. It's going to make the, the people on the fence upset and we're going to lose them. No, he decided that he was going to do what was right regardless of what anyone else said. What happens if he doesn't? That's, uh, that's a scary thought to me. Hopefully it's a scary thought to you because he's the one that changed the, the, the culture of our, of our nation. He changed the future of our nation to where now we're, we're closer than we've ever have been. Um, some would say we're not there yet, and I, I would partly agree with that, but we're closer than we ever have been because Abraham Lincoln stood up and did what was right. Matthew chapter 5. Now, Matthew 5... 13 follows the Beatitudes. So I just want to read this section of the Beatitudes very quickly. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He talks to these people. Now, if you remember way back when we studied the Beatitudes and studied the Sermon on the Mount... The people he's talking to are called the Anaim. They're the people that are forgotten. That word was, was the Hebrew word for the people who would be left 
after someone came in and, ca- and, and captured a nation, they would take all the smart people back to their nation. Does that sound familiar? The book of Daniel, right? They come in, they capture, they take all the smart people back to their nation so that they could brainwash them, eventually send them back so that that nation would be theirs forever. But the people that were left were left without homes. The cities were all destroyed. All the smart people are gone. All the hard workers are gone because they're the ones that went back to the country to be brainwashed so that in a few years they can be sent back here. And so the Anaim were the people that were just left to die. The the fact is that they didn't really make it that often. Because all all the leading inventors, all the leading farmers, all the leading everyone is gone. And so now they're left with no homes, no food, no shelter, no nothing. That's the people that Jesus is talking about when he says, verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the anaim, the people who have been forgotten. And so chapter five, verses 13 through 12, he's talking to the people that are forgotten. The people that, that when you look at them, it just doesn't seem like they are going to do anything great with their lives. But then he starts chapter five, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That famous statement, I mean, there are a few statements from Jesus that are more quoted than than others. You know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, so forth. Um, The Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, why have you forsaken me on the cross is mentioned a lot. But this is probably one of those most famous passages from from Jesus' teachings, the, the idea that we are salt of the earth, and, and that doesn't make sense. Salt never loses its savor, right? Salt never loses its saltiness. You, um, if you're like us, every time we go to the store, we forget that we have, um, usually it's we forget we have salt and peanut butter. And so every time we go to the store, we buy a thing of salt and a thing of peanut butter until... One of us goes in the cabinet and says, you have got to be kidding. We have 17 things of peanut butter in here. Please stop buying peanut butter or salt. We have boxes of salt in our cabinets that have probably been there the entire time we've been married. You probably have boxes of salt stuck back in your cabinets that have been married there the entire time you've been married. For some of us, that's a lot longer than others of us. Salt never loses its saltiness. You can pick it up 50 years down the road. In fact, the salt that is there, the salt that we get from the ground is there because of the flood some 6,000 years ago. It doesn't lose its saltiness. So what in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, their salt wasn't pure like ours. It had little grains of sand, little grains of maybe some dirt, some sticks and things because they didn't have the refining processes that we have. But eventually... Eventually, your, your, your jar of salt, you, you would you'd kind of sift through it, right? You'd pick it out and 
put some in your dish from the top and it'd be jostled around and that sort of thing. And so eventually all the actual salt would settle to the bottom and all the dirt and sand that was lighter would be at the top, right? If you've ever mixed a bowl of something, all the heavy stuff ends at the bottom. If you go to Olive Garden, you've got to mix it because all the good olives end at the bottom of the bowl. The heavier things get to the bottom. So they would take the top and they'd throw it out in the dirt because it's just dirt and sand and that sort of thing. That's what he's talking about. It's not what it's intended to be anymore. It is not salt. The salt has lost its saltiness because what we have at the top of the jar isn't salt anymore. All the salt's at the bottom, and now we just have dirt and worthless things, so we take it and we throw it out on the streets. But in this, in this section, he's, he's, he's saying something that is, that is more important than just you know, we should, we should, like what we're going to talk about in a minute, that we should be visible as Christians. What he's saying is that we have something in us that is only in God. So, John chapter 1 and verse 4 says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. John 8 and verse 12, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He talks about salt and light in Matthew 5. And he's trying to tell us that what we have, that the reason we are here, is because we have something that is only found in God. And that is this idea of salt and light. This this thing that changes Things. If you put salt on meat, it changes the taste. If you put salt in anything, it changes the taste. If you, if you turn off all the lights, like the old illustration goes, and you light a lighter or you light a little lamp candle or something like that, it's going to be seen and everywhere. This, is, this idea that he's getting at, he's trying to tell us that what we have in us is part of God himself. John 1. Jesus was the light. John 8. That we have the light and we follow him. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We were once in darkness. But now we have something within us that is part of God. We have the light. Now, what in the world is the light? Do each one of us have God living inside of us? And the, the issue with that idea is that God can't be around sin. And you and I sin, hopefully not on a regular basis. Hopefully, the longer we're Christians, we're, no long, we're getting to the point where we go days, maybe weeks, without sinning. Maybe, hopefully, Christians are working the sin out of their lives. But the fact is that at some point it's going to come back up. And the problem is, if God himself is living in each one of us, every time we sin, he has to leave us. Because he can't be around it. And then when we repent, he comes back in. And then when we sin again, he leaves. And then when we repent, he comes back in. And the problem with that is, what happens if we pass from this life when he's not inside of us? And we're lost. See the problem with this idea that God is actually physically living inside of us? But here's what he's saying. We have the teachings. 
We have Jesus' personality, his character, his lifestyle in us to now we are new creatures. We're no longer in the darkness, 2 Corinthians 5, 12. We're now in the light. We are now part of the light. We are now possessing part of God himself within us through his teachings and his revelations. So, Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Why would Paul have run and labored in vain? Because he's the one that taught them. He's the one, he, he didn't want them to give up. He wanted them at the day of judgment to be found as part of the light. 1 John 1, 7 and 8. If you walk in the light, he's in the light. You'll have fellowship one with another. He wanted at the judgment day to know that all of his time spent was worth it. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about his, his thorn in the flesh. And people will, will surmise that maybe it's bad vision because he writes... And sometimes, and he says, look at what large letters I've written to you. Yeah, because he's getting older. It's not his thorn in the flesh. Well, maybe it's some kind of sickness. Yeah, he did get pretty sick on his way to Corinth, and that's why he has to write the second book, but that's not his thorn in the flesh either. Well, maybe, maybe his body just doesn't work anymore because he's been stoned. Yeah, he's, he's been stoned at least a couple of times, one at Lystra, but that's not either. His thorn in the flesh... He says in the rest of that passage, is his care, his prayers, and his terror that Philippians 2, 15 and 16 is going to come to pass. That the judgment day is going to come and he's going to look around and all the people that he baptized, all the people that he taught, aren't going to be there. Because they've given in and they've given up their light. You see, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, and a person that does not light a candle and put it under a basket, but he puts it in the middle of the house, what he's saying is, you have within you part of God himself. Later on, Paul would say, you need to do everything in your, poss- in your capabilities to keep that light within you. Because there are things that are going to try to put it out. The false doctrines. And temptations, idolatry that we're talking about on Sunday mornings, those sorts of things, we'll try to put it out. But, go back to Matthew chapter 5 now. Matthew 5, verse 16. Because this is, um, this is a little upsetting to me. Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Doesn't that sound beautiful? I mean, that, that whatever translation you read it in, if it's King James or it's New King James or it's ESV or whatever translation you read that passage in. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Doesn't that sound beautiful? You know, you can put that on a poster and put it in your house or something. That's a mistranslation. 100% wrong translation of that passage. Because that sounds very passive, doesn't it? So let your light shine wherever you go. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, 
verses 18 through 20. Jesus answers and says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the world, or into the age. Doesn't that... Don't we lessen that great commandment when we preachers do it all the time? We'll say, and I've, I've even said it. What, what the Great Commission means is as you are going, you need to be preaching the gospel. Wherever you are, you need to be preaching the gospel. That's true. But what Jesus said is go. It's active. Matthew 5.16 is not passive. So let your light shine. It reads like you have something within you. That is part of God. And so just let it out. Let people see it. That's not what he's saying. Here's what the Greek says. Are you ready? Matthew 5 verse 16. In this order. So shine your light. It is active. It is not passive. Jesus did not say as you're going just, you know, passively. You know, people will know that you're a Christian just because they see you're a Christian. What he said is, you put your light in front of people and make sure that every time they have a conversation with you, every time they have an interaction with you, every time they think about you, they know that you are a Christian. It is active. You don't leave a conversation, an interaction with a person without having let your light shine. Put it in front of them and make sure that they know that you're a Christian. Now, how many times do we not do that? How many times do we have conversation with people and we just think... You know, they'll find out eventually. I, I, I even, I've been studying for this sermon for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I did it this past week. And as soon as it was over, I realized what I did. I was having a conversation with someone who's um, planning on doing a project here in Columbus, and I was talking to him about the project. And the project that he's doing is somewhat, I mean, there's a very real sense in which that conversation could have turned into a gospel conversation at the drop of a hat, because of what he's talking about in the project that he's working on. And I got done with the conversation, and I realized, unless he like looks me up, he has no idea who I am. He has no idea what I believe. I didn't, I didn't say any of my beliefs. I was asking about, if, about his project. Matthew 5.16 says, shine your light. It is active. It means that we put it out in front of people and make sure... We make positive, sure, that when they leave us, if it's now or next week or whenever, that they know that I'm a Christian. That means that we don't compromise. I'm glad that the holidays are over because it's always awkward to talk about this before. And and I don't want you to think that I'm talking about any individual because I don't know of any individuals that this fits. But I just want to use an illustration that, that usually comes up. It's the holidays, and so a family member comes into town. And that family member, you know, we don't see them very often. Just in this illustration. We don't see them very often. And they come on a Tuesday, and they're going to leave on a Thursday. And we need as much time with that family member as we possibly can. And so we say, you know what, I think I, can, I think I can make an exception for Wednesday night Bible study because I need to spend time with my family member. You do need to spend time with your family member. 
But Matthew 5.16 says you put your light in front of that person to make sure that they know. We don't compromise. Christians can't compromise because what we have in us is part of God Himself. And God doesn't compromise. We, we're having a conversation with someone and, and they say, hey, you know, there's a concert downtown or there's, there's this next week or there's that next week. And we, we answer with this. I'm sorry, I... I've got this, uh, got this church thing that I've got to go to. I'm sorry. Instead of saying, no, I can't be there. I, I've got something at church that I really want to go to and that I'm excited about and, and I just I can't compromise. I, I'm going to be there. That's Matthew 5.16. Shine your light in front of men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And oftentimes, we'll keep our, we'll keep our Christianity hidden behind us so that when we leave, hopefully, maybe they might catch a glimpse of us. Maybe, maybe if we have a conversation with them long enough, a relationship with them long enough, eventually they'll learn that we're a Christian, and maybe they'll even ask us. It's not what Matthew 5.16 says. It says, shine your light in front of people. There's no room for compromise there. There's no room for making excuses there. And I'm, I'm talking to myself as much as I am anyone else. Verse 2 Timothy chapter uh, 12, 2 Timothy chapter 1, sorry, verse number 12, says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What's been entrusted to him? Last week when we read the book of 2 Timothy in afternoon services, we found out that what was entrusted to him was the gospel. That what was entrusted to him was his Christianity and his salvation. Matthew 5, his light. I'm convinced that God is going to help guard my light because he entrusted it to me. But the fact is that I have to do something about it too. I have to actively shine my light in front of people. I have to make sure that they know that I am a Christian and I will not compromise my faith. It's something that is quickly becoming more and more needed in our culture. Because we, we live in a world where if you put your... I've heard it just as much as you have, the statement, well, you can be a Christian, but don't push it down people's throats. Right? I don't know about you. I have never held someone down and tried to stuff a Bible down their throat. But I'm going to put my Christianity in front of them so that they see my light. Because that's what I'm commanded to do. We live in a world where your Christianity is supposed to just be hidden. In fact, it's not new. Don't think that the way we live, the country that we live in today is different than any other time. Did you know the reason why Abraham Lincoln's friend burnt the tract that he wrote? Number one, it was because in that time period, you didn't talk about the Bible like that and get away with it. People back then were cultural Christians. They just believed in God because that's what everybody else believed in. But another reason? It was fine if Abraham Lincoln believed that. But in that world, you didn't talk about your faith. You went to church on Sunday, and you shut up about it between Monday and Saturday. You didn't tell anybody where you went to church. If they, if they saw you there, they knew where you went. You didn't tell them about your faith. You didn't evangelize. You didn't... Everybody believed in God and it was just understood. You don't talk about religion. 
That's one of the reasons why Abraham Lincoln's friend burnt his track. Because, yeah, it was, it was kind of a problem that he believed that about the Bible. It was more of a problem that Abraham Lincoln took the initiative to stand up and say something about his belief. I don't agree with what Abraham Lincoln believed then. I don't agree with what he believed at the end of his life. But that man stood up for his beliefs, wherever he was. When he believed that the Bible was a hoax and preachers were charlatans and Christ was a a liar and and a crazy person, he spoke out about it. When he changed his mind later in life and he became president, he spoke out about it. He did something because it was his responsibility. And it's our responsibility as well. Except even more so, because it's our responsibility to tell people about the truth, to proclaim the good news, to spread the gospel, to put our light in front of people so that when they leave us, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that man's a Christian, that woman's a Christian. Maybe it's because you invited them to services. Maybe it's because you denied an invite to something. You can let your light shine in a number of different ways. You don't have to just you know, take your Bible and walk down your street and walk up to someone's door and go, do you have a second for me to tell you about my Lord and Savior? I mean, that's fine if you want to do that. I'll go with you. Let me know. We'll go one week. Um, you can let your light shine. You can put it in front of people in other ways. Do your neighbors know that you're Christians? Do your neighbors know where you go every Sunday? Maybe they know you're a Christian. They see you get up and get dressed and look nice and get in your car and scream at your kids and kick them in the pants when they're trying to get in and you're running 15 minutes late. They see you going to church. Do they know where you're going? Today I was driving here after picking up Rebecca and the kids and we turned onto Warm Springs Road from Miller Road and there was a guy that was sitting in his front seat. He was dressed in a nice green shirt with tie and his wife was dressed in a nice dress and his child was in the back and I knew where they were going. I have no clue where though. I knew they were going to church but I don't know which church. One church that's somewhere that way. Your, your friends know more than just, well yeah I think he believes in God. Because that's not enough. Set real goals this year of, of, of shining your light, actively putting it in front of people. Because here's something that's very important. Psalm chapter 37, verse 25. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servants. Just don't say it too loud because that might make people awkward. No. Put your light in front of people and make sure that they see it. If you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. If you're ready to to take on that light, that's the only way to be saved. And the only way to have that light is to be in Christ. You do that through baptism. So if you're ready to become a Christian and be baptized for the remission of your sins, we will baptize you. If you need to repent of sins, maybe you just need encouragements from the other Christians to to do what we've talked about today or something else that, that, that you need to repent of or ask for encouragement for. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement and let us know while we do that.